I pulled my rabbi over to the side. What do you personally think is going to happen to you when you die? I really wanted just to know from my rabbi, what did he think? His answer was, I don't know. The fact that he didn't have an answer for himself really floored me. It made me probably just hold on to what it meant and what it means to be Jewish culturally and traditionally, but not really be thinking about anything really beyond that. I grew up in a, a reform, a really liberal Jewish congregation. I went to Hebrew school. I, I was involved in, in Jewish day camps. I was a counselor in overnight camp. I was involved in Jewish fraternity. I mean, just a lot of these things, but I don't think at any time did I ever really fully know whether I believed that God was real or not. When it came to education or knowledge or information about, about Jesus, really what I knew was that we are survivors of Christian persecution. So, no, I've never read the New Testament and actually never would have uh, wanted to. I was afraid, actually, of that because I was sure that somewhere in there it had to say something like, let's go to Canaan to get the Jews. I understood from just growing up Jewish about the importance of atonement, and that really made me nervous. If God was even real, I realized that I was just so far away from him. I was mucky and dirty, and it was as if I was as far away from God as, as the moon is from me. And I had no way of being able to get back together with God or have atonement. When a good friend of mine ended up uh, getting saved or coming to believe in Jesus, I remember being nervous for him and wondering what this was going to be like. I didn't even know if God was real, let alone anything about Jesus. But um, I really saw this, I, I, this change in him. It was like a serenity, love, and peace and confidence that he had. And I think because of that, I was more open to um, want to learn a little bit more about what actually happened in his life. When I read the New Testament for the first time, which I had not wanted to read, but when I read it, I was really just surprised and shocked that this was Jewish. And I'm checking all of these parts in the Old Testament and the prophecies in the book of Isaiah that are actually exact for what it was saying in the New Testament, and, and my mind was blown. It was a book about this man who really was the fulfillment of Scripture. And actually, it was when I was reading and reading about Jesus in the New Testament that I realized that that he is actually my way to be able to get back to God. I, I just couldn't fathom it before, and, and this was all making sense. I, I was really taken by him. That he was saying words that were, that were just so true and filling and life-giving to me. And the first thing that I actually said was basically one sentence. And I said, God, I want to just tell you that I am sorry because I have hated your name. And, um, and it took me months to be able to go ahead and get to that point where I could be able to thank my God by name. I still have ups and downs in life, but um, it's a whole nother reality 
to know and to walk with God and to know that I will actually have the miracle of, um, of forgiveness of my muck and forgiveness of my sin. God has given me more love, more patience, but most importantly, forgiveness. And it is my heart cry that my Jewish people would be able to also know the truth of what it means to have forgiveness. I love watching that. <laughs> it's great to be able um, to just hear and to, you know, I can be able to draw upon, you know, the real emotion of what it was like growing up and when I thought that things related to the New Covenant and the New Testament were, were anti-Jewish. This is just what I thought. And, um, and what that meant in terms of atonement and uh, really how God was drawing me. And uh, like I said uh, towards the end there, uh, really, I, I actually uh, had to tell God that I was just sorry because I have hated his name. And, um, and part of that is because, unfortunately, there's this Jewish memory. There's just kind of historical memory that gets passed down. And a lot of it is, you know, what has happened just kind of to our people. And, and I remember asking a lot of uh, Christians, and I, I, I wouldn't actually say I was asking them. I was, I was really quizzing them. I was testing them. I was, before I was saved, I was uh, doing a lot of challenging. Um, because I was able to know and understand that if, if Jesus was um, uh, celebrating Passover, for example, and doing it up to the end of his life, and even getting the folks that he was teaching to come and to to do it with him, then, then there was, you know, some kind of a disconnect. And, um, and, I, and I really wanted to kind of shy away. Amazingly, <laughs> thankfully, um, the Lord has a different plan. And I want you to know that the main person that was probably sharing with me and the one that I was probably digging into the most uh, was a woman. Uh, her name was Mary. And actually, when she got saved which only some people in her family were believers and some weren't. When she got saved, actually, God gave her a forgiveness in her heart for her dad who had physically and sexually abused her growing up. And I was speaking against it. And I was telling her that she was letting him off the hook and, and, and I, was, I had this big, giant burden and I was speaking against that she shouldn't forgive him. And, and here I am speaking against the miracle of what God was doing in her heart and at the same time, God's still coming after me. God still wanted to go ahead and to forgive me. Really, the miracle of forgiveness of sin is, is just the greatest miracle there is. And um, I grew up here in the area. I grew up in Yardley. And the congregation, the synagogue that I went to, is, uh, was she or me, just two miles down the road. So I don't mind publicly saying here that um, it was my rabbi. Um, growing up here, wonderfully sweet man. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, with him growing up, and, and I, I really just enjoyed kind of my time there. But when I did ask him, I said, Rabbi, I don't want to know Jewish dogma, but what do you personally really believe is going to happen to you after you die? And I, I, he was being very honest and transparent. And, and his answer was, I don't know. 
I went into a whole, almost kind of like a new age time of my life where I wanted to step away and, and I didn't really know what to believe. Amazingly, the Jewish holy days, <laughs> the biblical holidays, and more specifically Passover, really helped bring me back because it was about atonement and it was about forgiveness and about how there was going to be, as it relates with the Passover, death in every single house with the very last plague. There was going to be death in every home. But it was either going to be a person or a substitute, right? The lamb substitute could be slain, and if the blood was put over the doorpost of the house, then the Spirit of God was going to come, and he wasn't coming to see who was Jewish. He wasn't coming to see who was an Israelite. He was coming just to see who was going to obey the method that God gave to be able to bring freedom in the house. And that's by actually having that sacrifice, having that substitute in place. If there was an Egyptian family that, that believed and they ended up putting a sacrifice and they put the blood over, then wonderful. Then their family was, was saved. You know, they're the firstborn. If there was a Jewish family that did not, an Israelite family that did not, then, then unfortunately their firstborn was going to be killed. And so God made a way. He provided a method to be able to have that punishment put onto something else. Now, we know that here. You guys sang about it here. Um, uh, But for me, back then, it was really revolutionary because if I was going to believe if God is even real, then I know that, that I didn't have any way that I could work my way back up to God, in a sense. I didn't really have this atonement. And, um, and so that burden inside of me was so huge, and it actually forced me um, to go ahead and to confront and to ask different Christians about what their experience was. Can we go ahead and have... Oh, wonderful. So Psalm 103 is something that I want to just encourage, because in, in, in a short little time here, I'm going to share about the different um, holy days, the different biblical feasts, and some meaning that they can be able to mean, not just academically, but honestly for you and for me personally to really embrace, because this is a part of your heritage. But instead of jumping right into that, I want to start with Psalm 103. Um, Praise the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. I believe verse 2 is probably the key. And this is, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. This is King David crying out. And the rest of the psalm is a whole list of amazing benefits from the Lord who forgives all of our sins, heals all of our diseases. There we go. Um, I love verse 10 that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Praise God for that. I want to encourage you to go ahead and to read Psalm 103 and to embrace some of the things that God puts in here that King David said for us to remember, for us to not forget his benefits. This is an amazing list of benefits right here. Um, From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with the children's children. 
This is wonderful. But I want to read to you a couple scriptures that I intentionally like to remember to not forget God's benefits. This is actually how I look at the holy days. This is how I want to just look at scripture. It's my encouragement as how I want to encourage you. I love the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Because it's the law of the Lord that actually shows us our need. You know, it's the law that shows us that we actually have sinned before God. And the law shows us that he's the one that actually can go ahead and make a way for us. You know, sometimes um, I I looked in the mirror this morning and I saw that I was all kind of disheveled and I was good. I was able to go and take a shower and so forth. But when I looked in the mirror and I saw what uh, needed to be fixed, I didn't get upset at the mirror. I actually was thankful for the mirror because it was able to show me areas that I could be able to kind of clean up. And, um, and so some people would say, well, why would you ever get upset at a mirror? You know, we want to go to that every day so we can clean ourselves up. But when we sometimes go to the Word of God, we don't look at the Word of God that way. And unfortunately, we will go ahead, and I, can, I know times in my life that, that um, we sometimes will get upset. You know, the Word of God is like a mirror. It is to show us this wonderful um, uh, atonement, but it shows us our need for God, and then it shows what he can be able to do to bring us back. And so I just love the fact that the law of the Lord is perfect because it shows me that I have broken the law, and it shows me that God has actually fully met the righteous requirement of the law on my behalf. Here's another one, my favorite scripture, period. For we are saved by grace through faith, this not of ourselves, gift of God, not by works, so no man can boast. I intentionally use this like the glasses that I wear in this world. So I want to make sure that I'm always remembering, not by works, so no man can boast. I can give my boast to him. This is how I try to forget not his benefits. Here's another one that a lot of uh, Christians love. This is wonderful. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Here's another one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is another one of those benefits I do not want to forget. And this was written to believers. This is not written to non-believers in terms of like repentance to, to just get saved. This is for us. So that way we can turn to the Lord. We can confess our sin and know that he is faithful and just and will purify us. So here are some great scriptures. I'm not going to read them through, but God continually tells us to remember, to remember. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the Lord our God. In Jude, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles. Here's a couple scriptures specifically about remembering the holy day that's going to be coming up, Passover. Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place. The whole institution of this particular holy day was not some kind of an earning holiday. 
It wasn't something that was being given to the Israelites where if you did this and if you did that, you somehow earned some, some righteousness or standing before God. It was even from the get-go. Remember this every year for what I have done for you. It's a way for us to be able to thank God every year as a great reminder of his redemption story and how he can go ahead and get the honor. It's a memorial, a thanksgiving, a remembrance holy day. And so here in Leviticus 23 is really like a cliff notes, cheat sheet, kind of a scripture, part of the scriptures, which talks about the biblical feast days. And so you really basically start off with the Sabbath, with the Shabbat. And then there are three biblical holy days in the springtime and three in the fall. And so it starts off, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord. Now we know in Matthew um, 5.17 in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so this is a great opportunity for us to look at what is God trying to help us to remember? What is God wanting to teach us? How are we to not forget his benefits in how he laid out the biblical feast days as a story for us? And so we start off with the Sabbath. Now, next comes Passover. Now, like I said, there's many other different parts of the scripture that go into a lot more detail. This is really just kind of a simple little cliff notes area. But um, Pesach, or Passover, always was my favorite holiday growing up. Um, it, it was something that I was able to go ahead and even lead in the house in terms of uh, some of the celebration. And it was something that I really embraced. And thankfully, because we would speak about atonement, we would speak about the blood of the lamb, we would speak about the sacrificial lamb, not at that point understanding the connection with the Lord, but this was over and over and over as a reminder. And so I just love, um, you know, the whole institution of communion is at the Last Supper at the Passover Seder, the Passover meal that the Lord was having the night before his death. Um, I love how you read Isaiah 53 (laughs) right here. That is the sacrificial lamb. It's showing that he really is the one to go ahead and be. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. That's why he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, because he is that Passover lamb. And so there's so much that I could be able to talk and share about Passover, but I want to give you guys, even though we're doing this so quickly, a little glimpse of how this also relates to the other biblical feast days and what they can be able to speak to us as well. So we have what's called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, the Feast of First Fruits is a holiday or a holy day within Judaism that really is downplayed. And within traditional Judaism, it is not a holy day that really is um, even uh, a, a, a time where people will come and will gather together. Um, I know that I learned more about this holy day um, after I was saved than beforehand. And so what this is, is during the Passover week, during the Passover week, um, on the day after the Sabbath, 
This is basically like an offering holiday. They're to go ahead and to wave the sheaf before the Lord. And on the day that you wave the sheaf, you're to have certain sacrifices. This is a feast of first fruits. And it happens during the Passover week on the day after the Sabbath. Now, there are two ways of understanding this. The first day of Passover is itself considered a Sabbath, a holy day. So some people think that it means the day after, basically like the second day of Passover. Um, But there's a variety of scriptural ways to explain that, no, this is literally talking about the very day after the traditional Sabbath. And so the Sabbath, biblically, was Friday night to Saturday night, the seventh day of the week. And so we see here on the day, oops, I'm sorry, on the day after the Sabbath, this Feast of first fruits. Now, in the New Testament, we see that Messiah has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And But each in turn, Messiah, the first fruits then, when he comes to those who belong to him. See, what is wonderful is that we know that the Lord didn't die on any random day. <laughs> Thank God. He did not die on any random day. He died to fulfill, like we read, like he says in the Sermon on the Mount, to fulfill, he died on Passover, to be the Passover lamb for us. He did not rise from the dead on any random day. But the celebration of Easter coming up, he rose from the dead on the biblical holy day of Feast of First Fruits. Let's continue to the next one here. Later in the spring, the third holy day in the spring is called the Feast of Weeks, um, or in Hebrew it's called Shavuot. Now, the Feast of Weeks is another harvest holy day, um, and it happens kind of towards the end of the spring harvest. And this is also one of the holy days that was a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage holiday. So, intentionally, Jewish people from around the nations would come up to Jerusalem specifically for this one-day Holy Day Feast. So let's read just a little bit in here. It says, oopsie-daisy. It says, from the day after the Sabbath, the day that you brought the sheave of the wave offering, so that's talking about from that first fruits Holy Day, Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, a lot of times we've learned that Pentecost, and Penta for 50, that Pentecost is basically happened 50 days. There was 50 days from the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And 50 days later is when the Holy Spirit came down when the believers were praying in the the upper room and you had the tongues of fire And then they went out and they spoke in different tongues and different languages. And we see 15 different nations specifically, but could be others, of Jewish people that were there from all around, from Rome and Cyprus and, and, um, uh, goodness, all around. And they were speaking in their language. And then Peter preaches repentance and faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. And 3,000 get saved on that day. Well, the counting of the 50 days started back here in Leviticus in the Torah. He didn't die on any random day. 
He didn't rise from the dead on any random day. And the Holy Spirit didn't come on any random day. They came literally to then be the fulfillment of what these holy days are. The spring feasts have to do with his first coming. Now, I'm not going to do any date setting, (laughs) God forbid. But it is believed that the feasts and the holy days in the fall then have to do with his second coming. But before we do that, I wanted to share something. A lot of times people will say that if a Jewish person really believes, believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, couldn't that be enough for them to be able to have a relationship with the Lord where they were able to literally have their sins, in a sense, atoned for? You know, there was a reference earlier today, actually, to Leviticus 17.11, which basically talks about how um, uh, for the life of a creature is in the blood and about how... um, uh, how the Lord says he's given it upon the altar for, um, I, uh, let's see, but he's given it upon the altar to make atonement for your, for your sins. There has to be a blood atonement. There's always been a sacrificial kind of system, this intermediary. Moses was the intermediary between God and the people at that time. The high priests were the intermediary. And what happened at Pentecost is it says there were God-fearing Jews from all of the nations that were all around. But only 3,000 were distinctively considered saved that day. And those 3,000 were the ones that had a repentance and faith experience in the method God provided through his son, through the death and resurrection and believing on that and the sacrifice he would go ahead and make in their place. You know, um, Just being a, quote, God-fearer in general, that in itself is not enough to go ahead and take care of the sin nature and the sin problem that we have. Our sin has separated us from God. And, um, you know, it's wonderful. We have have the example of the two thieves on the cross. And um, let's say this thief, maybe it was the first time that they ever stole anything. And unfortunately, they were caught. And let's say this thief over here Maybe, maybe they also murdered, hurt children, stole lots of times. All we know about these two thieves is that they were both thieves, and actually they were both cursing the Lord at a certain point. And the question comes up sometimes about, you know, wondering. We know only one of them turned and repented and then was able to receive kind of that exchange at the cross. And so... Um, I won't put you on the spot here, (laughs) but, you know, some people might think it was thief number one, and some people might think it was thief number two. What's wonderful is that we have no idea, because that's not the point. God comes to us in the depth of whatever muck we have, as long as we will then turn to him and trust in what he's done, not by works, right? And then the exchange will be for that thief, For me, the miracle forgiveness of sin, for those that are believers here, that God is going to treat me as if I had led his son's life, and he treated his son with the punishment as if he had led my life. That's the miracle. It's absolutely amazing. And so we have here in the fall the Feast of Trumpets. People know this as Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah just means the head of the year. 
It's actually not really the Jewish New Year. It's actually the seventh month, but it's kind of the head of the year. And all three of the biblical feasts happen in this seventh month or this holy month. It's the, it's the holy day of, of trumpeting, of shouting, of actually just declaring. It's actually of a sounding. And we see in um, 1 Corinthians 15, and this possibly could be related to it, it says, listen, I tell you a mystery We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And so some believe that that has to do with what will happen. There will be this declaration, this sounding. Um, We have the Day of Atonement. This is the holy day, the one day of the year, when the high priest, on behalf of the whole of the nation, would be able to go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and would go ahead and sacrifice, um, uh, do a sacrifice on behalf of the nation. They would actually confess the sin on one goat. They would be sent out into wilderness. There would be another one that would be sacrificed. It would be killed. This is the one day. And we know in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is all about this holiday. Wonderful, wonderful stuff in there. And what happened? Well, Jesus is our high priest. He is the sacrifice as well. He is the high priest to be able to go ahead and to take our place. And we know that, um, that this holy day, well, I'll just say this, a quick little story. After I got saved and I actually had some people tell me that there was a, a, a Jewish believer, a rabbi who also believed in Jesus down in, in Baltimore, and maybe I should go talk with him. And I remember thinking, that just sounds a little nutty. That's <laughs> kind of what I thought at the time. And um, because I knew I really have to read the Bible and understand that as much as I can before I could know whether something is true or whether something is really a rabbit trail. And the first church I ever went to, actually, Hokesson Baptist Church, They said to me, don't believe anything you hear unless you check it with the word of God and don't believe anything you're even hearing at this church unless you also check what's being taught here with what the word of God says. And so I actually just wanted to go ahead and and deep into that. But about four months later, I met a Messianic rabbi and I asked him this question, first thing. I said, what's up with Yom Kippur? Is it thrown out the window? That's how I phrased it. Because I have my atonement. Because he is the atonement. He is the Yom Kippur. He is the sacrifice. Because Yom Kippur was always this earning, this yearning, this I have to do things in order to earn some sense of righteousness. And so what I realized is now I can be able to honor this day in the same way I did Passover, which is in the spirit of thanking God for what he has done. That was even how Passover was even put together to thank him for what he did when he led our people out of Egypt. And then also for me to thank him for what he did then again 2,000 years ago when he became my Passover lamb for me. And in that same spirit, I can go ahead and be able to thank God and not forget his benefits and know and remind myself of his redemption story as fulfilled in his son, the Messiah, to now be my atonement and my high priest to bring me back to God. Then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, what a wonderful holy day. 
Feast of Tabernacles is basically a fall um, harvest holiday and a celebration. There's so much to be able to go into the Feast of Tabernacles, but I'm going to give you a little, a little tidbit. A lot of times we talk about, or some people will talk about, how when Jesus returns, he's going to land back on the Mount of Olives. The mountain's going to split into two. There's going to be an earthquake there. But we learn about that not from the New Testament scriptures. It actually comes from the book of Zechariah. And in there, after these different prophetic things that are going to happen and the Lord comes back, and then you have the beginning of a thousand-year reign, it actually talks about how this is a holy day that actually believers will be able to celebrate together as a harvest, as a celebration of thanksgiving to the Lord, even in the future. It's really pretty stunning. Um, This holy day is really to remind us that while the children of Israel were going through the desert, they lived in booths, temporary dwellings for those 40 years before they made it into the promised land. And so there are a lot of different traditions, and, and that's the tabernacle has to do with the booths there. And it's a wonderful, wonderful holy day. And so we know for a fact he didn't die on any random day. He didn't rise from the dead on any random day. The Holy Spirit didn't come on any random day. And I don't know how the future is going to play out, but I can still be able to thank God even now that the fall feast as well are a part of his redemption story. And I want to encourage you, this is not just for me. This is for you. This is for all of us that are believers in the Lord because this is what he has done. He has brought us in. He has grafted actually both Jew and Gentile together. I had to get grafted in just like the Gentiles. Oh, goodness, that's a teaching for another day. <laughs> right? but, uh, but it's really just a miracle. It's a wonderful miracle. And so I want to encourage us to think about how we cannot forget his benefits, how we can be able to remember what he has fulfilled, how we can even be thinking of these wonderful holy days. You know, we have right here communion in front. This was wonderful because we were able to intentionally remember what he did for us and our connection with him. God has literally put together a timeline as well throughout the year. You know, just like, uh, you know, many people do on Christmas, Christmas morning, they might get together and read the story with their kids to remind them. They know the story, but every year intentionally to have it be something so we would not forget his benefits. And he laid out his holy days to be able to do that, especially on this side of the cross that we can be able to see the fulfillment. And so I just want to say, I'm going to kind of go here. I love this proverb. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The reason why I'm showing you this is because as I was praying for you guys, um, I want to actually pray that uh, you would go ahead in your own way, think about what are the benefits that God has given you and how we can be doers of the word, and that is to actually confess our sins. This is to believers. Because God will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's what he did at Passover. It's what he did at the Day of Atonement. It's his story of redemption in the holy days, but it's what he's done personally for us. 
It really is my heart cry. And it's what I want to, actually, I want to pray for you in this manner. And I love that even the Lord, even though it wasn't for confession of sin, but the Lord himself, even in his own prayers, he had loud cries and tears, even when he was praying to the Father, which is really amazing.